Okay, so we will spend a little time setting the background just because we need to be reminded of things. Uh, I think the, the, at least as we introduce the book of Joshua, the idea of promises uh, needs to be in the forefront of our thinking. Promises that bring excitement, promises that bring expectancy. Um, I just have a couple of commentaries I'm using. Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament fellows, Dale Ralph Davis, has a short commentary, and then uh, uh, one that uh, we, Sean and, or that I picked up when Sean and I went to Cleveland, pastor out, a Presbyterian pastor outside of Cleveland. I don't even remember his name, but I saw a book in their bookstore. Uh, Alistair Begg's bookstore that I use, and so that's all we're going to use. So we'll be—it'll be up to us to do uh, some of the uh, discussion and talking through it. But in it, um, one of them said, uh, "Promises create expectancy, and if you double that, it can create cynicism." Promises, we love, but when it promises, promises. You get that sense of promises, promises. Uh, and can, we've heard it all before, right? Whether it be we're going into this season. I mean, I don't know. The season really never ends anymore when the politicians are making promises of how they're going to fix everything that's wrong in our country. Uh, as they campaign, uh, no one expects them to keep it. They know they're not going to keep the promises, but they're saying the things that we want to hear, so we'll elect them. Some of them do. Some of them are principled men uh, and women. Uh, I, uh, you think about uh, employee-employer relationships. Uh, Corey will know this. How much money has James Harden made working for uh, his, who, what's, what's the general manager? Maury. How much money has he made working for Maury? couple of hundred million dollars and then just the other day he said he's a liar <laughs> and so yeah I know maybe it but the uh, employee employer relationship is broken down promises promises uh, parents and children how often have you said something like your child come to you and say uh, can we do this tomorrow or Saturday or and you say we'll see because you're a little too busy to really talk about it, and we'll see, and then you've disappointed your children because in their mind you said yes. <laughs> promises, promises, right? I mean, uh, I have those. And you can give me some other illustrations. Spouses, promises, promises that we've made to our spouses, beginning with our vows, at, uh, our wedding vows, so easily broken by... I don't know, you know, harsh words, uh, infidelity, of course, but in so many other subtle ways over the years, over the days, months, and years. Uh, I read a, a short article about Bruce Willis, you know, the actor, 68 years old, two years ago developed aphasia, which is the beginnings of forgetfulness due to something going on in his brain. And two years later, um, uh, now he's, he's got dementia, full dementia. And uh, 
oh, 10 or so years ago, married a young lady, uh, and she was talking about how hard it is to deal with his dementia, and yet she's right there by his side. I was impressed. She's 45, he's 68, and just almost doesn't remember her hardly. Um, so, but spouses, there's an excuse there. There's a, a deficiency in his thinking. Uh, there's some deficiencies in some of our thinking to, towards our spouses at times, but it's not because of uh, that. We're just like that. You know, people we, we saw in Peter, people mocked the promises of God, right? Where's the promise of his coming? Promises, promises. Where's the promise of his coming? Uh, <laughs> it's no wonder we have to pinky swear. Somebody tell me what pinky swear is. <laughs> or I swear on a stack of Bibles. I have an idea that's the same thing, isn't it? Kind of. I'm I'm not sure, but why doesn't the judge just say as you walk up to the witness stand, you're going to tell the truth, right? Go stand in the box. Why does he make us swear on on the Bible that we're going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And ironically, we're still saying, so help me or something before God. A nation of people that by and large do not believe in God and yet they're swearing by the God that they don't believe in and so now we're going to believe them that they're telling the truth. Promises, promises. Uh, But yet promises do uh, fill an important role in our lives. I mean, you know, they can change us as we make promises, change the people that we promise to. Well, Joshua, uh, as we come to the promises of God and thinking about the promises of God being fulfilled, hundreds of years before, Corey's taken us through the covenant with Abraham where God promised the Israelite people a land. Uh, Abraham had no children, old man, no prospects of having children, and Yet, because God promised, Isaac was born. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And because God promised, the younger became the ruler over the older, became the firstborn, had 12 sons. And they're at the kind of how the end of Genesis is. Joseph's in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, we find J- Jacob. We find Jacob and his extended family living in the, not in the promised land, but in Egypt. 400 years, much of it slaves. And all the while, God is working at keeping his covenantal promises to Abraham because he promised Descendants like the sands of the sea of, of the, on the beach. And so though they're in slavery in Egypt, the numbers are multiplying as God is working to fulfill his promise. So where's the land? Where are God's promises? Uh, 
Israelites become exiles, slaves in Egypt, but God delivers them from bondage. But God, thank goodness for that little prepositional phrase. To bring them to the land of promise for which, which he promised and they longed for, they experienced his power, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of the manna, and yet fear and unbelief in the Israelite people and the Jewish Hebrew people prevented them from taking the promised land immediately. And we all, you know this story, but uh, Moses sent his spies up into the land. That's the picture of the spies. If we were go down farther, they come out of Egypt, Kadesh Barnea, the spies go in, spy out the land, and what happens? Bad report from all of them. Oh, except two, Caleb and Joshua. So, because of their bad report, their unbelief, their lack of faith, everybody's got to die in that generation over 20 years old except for Caleb and uh, Joshua. So they're delayed for 40 years. And that whole generation dies off except for Joshua and Caleb. So they travel uh, northward. Let's see if I can do this. Goes this way. Oh, well... I probably can't. Is that there? No. What do I have to do, Glenn? It's not moving. F5 or what? Yeah. No. Oh, well. Yeah, I know. I should have run through these slides. But when the one came up, I thought it was okay. So they go from Kadesh Barnea, and now they're going to go around on the east side of the Dead Sea, go up through uh, all of that uh, land up to just northeast of the Sea of Galilee and the Moab, into Moab a camp on the east side of the Jordan. Moses preaches a series of sermons. What's that? Anybody know the sermons series that Moses preached uh, across the Jordan just before he dies? Deuteronomy. That's the book of Deuteronomy. He, the second giving of the law. And uh, so he preaches those sermons, he's reminded them of what they've been taught, uh, preparing them for what's about to happen. Uh, five or six hundred years now since Abraham, uh, concerning the land, the decades have passed unrealized, and now they're ready to go. But the question is, or the point, I mean, they're, they're going to enter... A nation of shepherds are going to enter 
and defeat these Canaanite people. Is it going now? Okay. Oh, well. Uh, and so, they're, they're poised to go in. There it is. Okay, there it goes. What'd you do to it? Hit resume show. Okay. All right. We can go back one. There's their trip. See, Kadesh Barnea, as they go up, and they uh, bring back a bad report to Kadesh Barnea, there goes their, possibly, their route to where they end up. They go through Edom, or around Edom and Moab, and, and uh, they are preserved by God to deal with those folks, those pagans, and now they're up. You see where they are right across. Moses preached his sermon, his sermons, and so uh, they're going to overthrow these kings as a not a warrior people, not an army of people, but the people of God. So Joshua will answer uh, how this happens. There's Joshua chapter one. I tried not to get too messy with it. But the reason I put these bars is the first half of Joshua, 1 through 9, is essentially duplicated in 10 through 18. Uh, In uh, Roman numeral 1 there, we have God's charge to Joshua, and then you go down to Roman numeral 2, and you have Joshua's charge to Israel. Okay, so God's command to Joshua, Joshua's uh, command, if you will, to Israel. Then God's command to action. All right, get up and go. Uh, 1B through 4, the orange line. Well, you go down to the second half, and you see prepare for action. And so Joshua does it in two phases. Uh, He'll have the people warned to go as time to go. You are to pass over to the land that God is giving you. And then he'll also... Some of the tribes want to stay on the east side of Jordan. And he says, he speaks to them particularly, you shall pass over and the land that God is giving, and we'll see how that works itself out. And then in 5 through 9 at the top, God's encouragement to Joshua, and then the people's encouragement to Joshua. So Joshua needs some encouragement to replace Moses and lead him in. And so the people encourage him. God encourages him here in chapter 1. God will be with you. God says, I will be with you. The people tell Joshua, God will be with you. The people say, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And we'll see that time and time again in this book as uh, Joshua and the people are uh, uh, encouraged to be strong and courageous. So the land is God's gift to them. But the people have to go in and take it. And that's what this is about. The encouragement is given to the leader of God's people. And uh, so that's where we begin. Let's look at chapter 1. We'll read the first nine verses, the first half, uh, and then see where we're going to go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, 
into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I, will, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the, the strength uh, of God's promise is the motivation. Uh, the content, if you will, is the land, verse 2, uh, into the land. You're to go into the land which I'm giving to them. Uh, he talks in verse 4 from the wilderness, as far as the great river, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward going down to the sun shall be your territory. Uh, it, it's the promise to Abraham includes the... the uh, Euphrates River, see, or Faxed, Glenn, where's the, yeah, okay, this right here is the Euphrates River, that's the east boundary of what's promised to Abraham, then all of these, uh, the, the Hittites are up here, See, all of these, half of these people are named in this passage right here. So that's all of the land that God has promised to Abraham. Uh, and then in Numbers, uh, the green here is the territory or the boundaries that is, are listed in Numbers. The green is what God, uh, th- Moses is mentions in uh, numbers 34 you see and then the gray area is where those two and a half tribes want to stay decide to stay across the Jordan uh, yeah we could go to Genesis 15 and essentially what is repeated here uh, about the land in verse 4 and uh, is it just verse 4 yeah in verse 4 Genesis 15, that's essentially the same area. It's a bigger area, but here is uh, this section of the promised land from Numbers 34. 
so the context of this chapter one, Moses is dead. Uh, Corey read Isaiah chapter six for, for us in the worship service. In the day that Uzziah died, Isaiah saw his vision. There's a marked uh, sense of concern in Israel when Uzziah dies, a good king for a long time. Here, of course, Moses, that's, this is a big deal. The context is Moses died. Now cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving to you, verse 2. And we need to realize how important it is that Moses is dead. I mean, you know it's important, right? Uh, how important is it? Uh, in Exodus 32 through 34, is there at Sinai, there's the implication in chapter 33 that Moses is the only one in covenant fellowship with God. And as he would go into the tent of meeting, all the people would just kind of sit and watch and wait for Moses to come back out. I mean, the Israelites as a nation, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, Davis says they were on death's door. Israel as a nation was just almost extinct except for Moses in a right fellowship with God. Um, he's a mediator, of course, between the God, and God and the people. Remember the scary stuff going on on the mountain, and the people say, no, we don't want to have any. We, you go talk to him and tell us what he says. Um, uh, and so their relationship, uh, in fact, Exodus 33 do we want to turn? Yeah, let's turn to Exodus 33 if you want to keep your hand here. Um, Exodus 33, let's begin in verse 7. Moses, now Moses, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So there's the idea. Maybe some others did seek the Lord also. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And, then, and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua the son of Nun, the young man, would depart from the tent. And then verse 16. How shall, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, as Moses is interceding? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So there's a sense in which Israel's life is wrapped up in Moses' life. And um, they're, they're attached to Moses. Their life is attached to Moses. And so he was a unique prophet. 
greater than uh, until the one greater than Moses than he came. We could uh, back to Joshua one. And let's read the last three verses of Deuteronomy, which is the page right before Joshua 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Um, So, now, Moses was unique as a prophet, and Moses has died. So you can imagine the concern for the people of Israel. Uh, They expected it. They'd been told it was going to happen. We could go to Deuteronomy 31. They had a chance to prepare for it. Uh, And then they're encouraged even in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Moses encourages them to be such. Uh, You know, it's kind of when a someone has terminal disease, you know they're going to die, you prepare for it. Uh, I remember somebody telling me at one point cancer was a kind killer because you have time to make peace with everyone. It's usually a slower uh, uh, process, but you know someone, but you can't ever prepare for the moment. And so they've been encouraged by Moses to be prepared, and yet here it is. What now? And Joshua says, let's, take, let's go take them. We're going to go over the river. We'll take them. Be strong and courageous. And it probably seemed kind of iffy, maybe even in Joshua's voice. But God says to do it, and they're going to do it. Uh, he's chosen Joshua to be to take Moses' place. Joshua and all of Israel knew Moses' miraculous ministry had been unique. Uh, and so what do they do now? That there's a funeral for Moses. Well, no funeral, right? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, God buries Moses. Uh, you know, I don't know, you'll hear talk about we need to have a funeral for closure, and there's something to that, I think, isn't there? Uh, that's why we have funeral services, it's kind of no closure, really, for the people of Israel um, in that sense, but what, you know, what do we do now? And uh, mo- <laughs> it's interesting that we'll see Moses... 58 times in the book of Joshua, I almost wonder if he's dead. But God is using Moses to encourage the people of Joshua to be strong and courageous and to trust and lean on the promises of God. 
So one through four, the first, you know, the curtain opens. There's Joshua kind of uh, front and center, standing stage, the center of the stage. And that's the backdrop. And God promises to be with them in verse three. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised uh, Moses. Uh, that would be Deuteronomy. Again, Moses uh, recites the promise that God gave him about that. So Mo Moses may die. God's promises live on. And God's leader is now Joshua. You know, so weep tonight if you want, but in the morning we're going. That's essentially what he's saying. Joy comes in the morning, right? Uh, we, I, I, I have a quote. You know, I kind of do something to designate quotes on my notes. I even quoted myself. Not as an authority, but I said Sunday, the sower may die, may pass away, but the seed abides forever, right? Moses is dead but the promise of God will abide forever. So a generation has died, a whole generation. They've been waiting since the deliverance, uh, but God has not. God is, his promise is still alive and his faithfulness doesn't depend on his people, uh, uh, on the talents and achievements of his strong leaders or his weak leaders. Uh, it doesn't wane in the face of funerals and and uh, a river that's impeding their progress. Um, trying to decide where we're going to, how far we're going to try to go. Let me, yeah, I'm going to read a, a little bit of a extended quote by Calvin in this, in his commentary on Joshua. Joshua says, I mean, Calvin says this suggests the very useful reflection that while men are cut off by death and fall in the middle of their career, the faithfulness of God never fails. On the death of Moses, a sad change seemed impending. The people were left like a body with its head lopped off. While thus in danger of dispersion, not only did the truth of God prove itself to be immortal, but it was shown in the person of Joshua to be a bright mirror that when God takes away those whom he has adorned with special gifts, he has others in readiness to supply their place. And that though he is pleased for a time to give excellent gifts to some, his mighty power is not tied down to them, but he is able as often as seems to him good to find fit successors nay, to raise up from the very stones persons qualified to perform illustrious deeds. So there's encouragement that comes from God's promises to these people, from his promises and of land and his promised presence. He won't leave them. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Uh, verse 9. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 17. Just as we, oh, and this is the people, 
answering Joshua, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us, be with you as he was with Moses. So the presence of God is promised, same promise that was given to Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you, God speaking to Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It's when Moses had fled Egypt. Uh, pasturing uh, or shepherding his father-in-law's herd around Mount Sinai. And he says, here's a sign for you. If you return here, you'll know my promise is good. And they return to Sinai after they're delivered. Uh, In the meantime, God sends them back into Egypt to deal with the Pharaoh. Um, So... uh, God calls Joshua to be strong and courageous. We saw that three times in the first nine verses. Be strong, not because Joshua is a mighty warrior, but be strong because God is with him. And that's a theme again. Be strong and courageous 12 times. Uh, not Is that just for God's leaders? No. That's for all of us as believers in Christ, right? Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, uh, that's essential, isn't it, for us to live a, a courageous and strong life, to know that the Lord is with us. He'll never forsake us. Anything, any comments, any questions so far? Nothing? Okay, verses 7 and 8. The primacy of God's word for this conquest. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. It would be nice to learn that, wouldn't it? Be very strong and very courageous. Being careful to do all that the law said, all that the word. We have the whole word. They had the Mosaic law, they had what Moses delivered to them. We have the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. Do you take it in carefully? Do you take it in carefully to get your readings done today or the next day? Or do you take it in carefully in order that you might do according to what it says and not turn to the right or to the left? And if then you may have good success. How do we define success in the Christian life? How do you define success? What's a successful day, week, month, year, life? 
growing in Christ's likeness. That's, that's a biblical definition of success, right? Yes, Tony. Obeying his word. Verse 8, this, is, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So he kind of gives some formula, as close to a formula as there is for success and motivation or at least power to be strong and courageous. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. It's one of the reasons Bruce and Craig and uh, the Stewarts and whoever else ends up counseling, Alan, Corey, me, whoever. It's why we try to help people learn to memorize Scripture. You meditate on it day and night. Not only do you read it, but then you remember it. And you revolve it around in your mind as to what, how it then comes into your life. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Want to be prosperous and successful? Comes in the word of God. Knowing it. Taking it in. Being careful as you study it meditating on it, and then it begins to transform and change your life. Verse 8, uh, some of you have heard me say the, the last job I had with the refinery, that was if you walked into my cubicle, you couldn't help but see that on the back wall. Uh, it, it, it was a small cubicle, believe me, the job I had. but So it was close, and you could read it, and it was big enough you could read it. And the reason that, what made me think about putting it there this passage is I was supporting salesmen and they were trying to be prosperous and they were trying to be successful and uh, that promise that was so dear to me meant so very little to most of them they thought that they had to be prosperous by whining and dining their customers and yelling at me when their product wasn't ready for their customer to uh, pick it up when they ordered it this is success and prosperity. What, what, what is going to be your gauge of success and prosperity? Uh, we begin with the word of God. Of course, we have to live life. Of course, if you're at work, you want a promotion. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself. But where do you trade off to get that? You know, as I was uh, part of the work staff and, and before that job, I was part of the work staff. I was a, a peer with about eight of us. Two of us were Christians. The other ones weren't. Those other six in vying for the next position up were able to uh, organize their life in ways that I was not able to organize my life. They could sell themselves out for the job, for the promotion. In order for me to keep the proper priorities in my life, that job was number three or four on my list, not, not number one. 
we maintain the proper priorities, and right here is the number one priority, our relationship with God through his word, taking it in, meditating on it, and not turning from the right or left, and then doing the best job we can do. You may not be able to be, if you're still working, you may not be able to be the best employee where you work in the boss's eyes, but you're really living for the audience of one, though you have other people that you have to please, you're living to please God. And so you be the best employee you can be where you work, knowing that you may not be able to be the best employee in in other people's eyes because you have different priorities than the rest of the world. Uh, And so that's verse 8. We'll just, verse 9, we got to stop. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, we'll stop there. Any Anything to close with before we go our ways? All right, so I hope that sort of whets your appetite for where we're going to end up going in the book of Joshua, we have to go conquer a nation of pagans. <laughs> Fighting with the sword of God's word. Right? Father, we thank you for your word. We understand it's living. We forget that. We're encouraged by your promises to be strong and courageous and yet we get fearful we get anxious Lord we thank you that your promises are according to your good pleasure and they never fail help us to rest in them In Jesus' name, we come to you and ask these things. Amen.